Hello everyone, welcome back to That Food Podcast. My name's Stu and I'm joined as always by my good friend Matt. Matt, how are you doing this week? Well, I am here and I can confirm that I am not a cat, um, but I have had a great week. <laughs> I mean, that's a good start. I mean, if we were, if I was having a podcast with a cat, I believe that, you know, people would start questioning the sanity. Well, <laughs> cat, off we go. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, check out, uh, was it Cat Lawyer on any social media platform. It's a viral video that's gone, well, viral and uh, highly recommend it if you want a good chuckle. And also, it just shows that any you can do anything. Any feline can be a lawyer, a judge. It can do whatever it wants. That poor little white cat filter is going to be very, That's very it. famous. Reach for the stars. Go for your dreams. You can be anything you want to be. So, obviously, we're back for episode two, meaning that there was obviously enough listens to make it worth us coming back and having a chat. And um, I think the feedback from episode one has been pretty good so far. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Really pleased with uh, all the feedback, all the interaction as well from people who listened and uh, uh, attempted to cook our uh, suggested recipe for this week. So yeah, fantastic feedback. Keep it coming, please. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have got in touch on our social media, um, on Twitter, at That Food Podcast. Um, and looking at our stats for the first listens, um, obviously, we're very surprised the number of people who listened to the first week. So thank you very much for listening. If you've liked what we do, make sure you hit subscribe on your podcast app of preference, whatever you're listening to us on now. But we had listeners in Croatia, Japan, in the United States, and obviously, a majority of our audience is here in the UK. So it's really warming to see already it's got that spread so it's really encouraging yeah we are very big in croatia <laughs> yeah. so don't worry our croatian listeners we will try and find a croatian dish to cook in the next few weeks uh, if the listenership keeps up so obviously uh you mentioned it on the pod last week you celebrated a birthday last week so congratulations happy birthday um and you were going to be having a date night in paris or france so to speak well, thank you very much. Yes, uh, last Friday I turned 37. And um, as I mentioned last week, uh, my wife Amy and I would do a, uh, a World Food Club. So we had a very special birthday edition, which took us to France again in a culinary virtual sense as opposed to an actual sense. Um, and we enjoyed the culinary delights of a French meal. In fact, we started the day with um, uh, croissants. We have ham and cheese, so almost like a continental breakfast. Um, we had canapes uh, in the afternoon, uh, made by Amy, which were absolutely lovely. And then in the evening, we teamed up and we made a uh, coat de boeuf, which um, again is a quite an expensive cut of meat. Uh, however, very, very tasty. Um, and also anything that we had left over, we then uh, turned into a pie the next day. Uh, so fantastic. And um, what we also, made to go with it was uh, Ali Go, which is a uh, cheesy mash, essentially, very creamy. Um, lots of work goes into that one, so I really, really earned my uh, mash that, that evening. Um, it involves a lot of whipping with a, uh, with a, 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 a spatula um, to whip it up and make it uh, nice and creamy and smooth. Um, so, um, you know, I, I do a lot of strength training. As you know, I quite enjoy that. Um, but I think I need to do a bit more endurance training. My arm, <laughs> my arm was killing me uh, towards the end of that, though. But it was very tasty, very nice. Um, and also a special mention uh, goes to Amy's uh, creme caramel, which was absolutely superb. 
Um, I think it's one of those dishes that can go very, very much wrong uh, if you do it incorrectly, but Amy's effort was delicious. Uh, so yeah, absolutely brilliant day. Um, and thank you also to anyone who uh, reached out and said happy birthday to me, much appreciated. Felt very much loved and appreciated by people, uh, which is fantastic. And thank you to you, Stu, who uh, bought me a proper professional podcasting microphone. So today I'm sat here with my mic, uh, very kindly uh, bought for me by Stu. Uh, so thank you for that, pal. No problem at all. And on the subject of creme caramel, as you said, it's one of those dishes that unless you spend the time, you actually concentrate. It's not the sort of dish, the, the dessert you can cook if you're just, I'll just quickly do a bit of washing up, I'll take the rubbish out. You've got to monitor it and it's, you've got to find that exact point to start doing everything during the preparation of that because if not, it's just going to become a sludgy mess. So I saw the pictures on social media which she shared and it looks impressive. I, I, I fear that you know she's going to come on the podcast and overtake us and just take the whole thing over because I think she's already a bit of a culinary wizard. She is a great cook, and um, well, actually, she normally um, kind of touching on your your point there. Uh, she doesn't normally follow a recipe, so she'll she'll go into a recipe, she'll follow it loosely, um, and then kind of add her own twist on it. Um, you know, uh, but on this occasion, as you said, she very strictly followed this recipe, and the results were fantastic. Um, however, I do have a quick uh, bone to pick with you, Stu, before we move on. Um, last week we uh, chose our dish that we would have forever on repeat and uh, you, uh, I chose chilli which I think is a fair shout, you chose a, uh, a cheese board which actually I had a little bit of time to think about, I'm a bit of a thinker, you know anyone that knows me sometimes I need to go away and have a little think about things so <laughs> I've, given it, I've given it a week and I've come to the conclusion that that was indeed a bit of a cop out, as you also <laughs> touched on yourself. It's like it's like if I was to ask you, you know, what um, if you could use any tool for the rest of your life, you'd choose a Swiss Army knife because essentially, with a cheese board, you can really make it what you want. I mean, it's a very intelligent choice. I'll give you that, but it's a little bit of a cop out. Well, you know, a cheese board is on a dessert menu, and the thing is, with a cheese board on a dessert menu at various pubs or restaurants where you go to. You order a cheese board, it's there, and you never know what you're going to get. So technically, if you're saying, what could I order off a menu? A cheese board. You know, it's a... Uh, I mean, I suppose, yeah, it was a bit of a cop-out. And I think the problem being is that, yeah, it's... I, I couldn't pick. Um, but if it's a go-to thing for a treat, that it's a case of, if you are only going to eat one more thing for the rest of days, cheese. Any cheese... Maybe not Wensleydale, because I don't really class that as a sensible cheese, because it has no flavour, in my opinion. Sorry, Wensleydale fans, uh, if you're up there. And also, people putting fruit in cheese. No, no. Cheese, fine. Fruit, fine. Don't mix them together. It's a bad idea. It's like fruit and nut in chocolate. Chocolate, yum. Nuts, yum. Fruit, yum. Put them together. No, I'll allow nuts in chocolate, but not fruit. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, obviously, I've been uh, in the kitchen a little bit over the weekend. Um, and also last night, I made um, a chicken and green lentil curry with some coconut. Sorry, not coconuts, with cauliflower rice. And uh, I enjoyed the irony of the cauliflower rice that that seems to have now been a staple replacement for normal rice in, in my household. Because I remember the second pie club, we had... Um, at my new house and I remember that my wife in that evening because she wasn't joining in in pies because it was a man club at the time <laughs> um, 
and I said that she'd cooked this dinner with cauliflower rice. And my response was, ugh, cauliflower rice. And I think your reaction was similar of the same, going, cauliflower rice, how, how does that work? But now I've, I've been fully converted. So from a, from a calorific standpoint, obviously getting extra veggies in the dish, uh, cauliflower rice, very, very nice. Worked quite nicely with the curry. So quite happy with that. Um, and obviously I was in the kitchen cooking this week's recipe with my daughter, as we'll get to um, a bit later on this week's episode. Um, but as we mentioned feedback, I thought it'd be worth uh, commenting and, and mentioning a couple of uh, our listeners who reached out to let us know what they were cooking. So Dan Wright, who's recently moved in with his fiance in Stoke. Uh, hello, Dan, if you're listening. Uh, he cooked his first ever roast dinner um, and we shared photographs of this on our social media on Twitter at that food podcast. And he did a fantastic job for a first roast dinner. It looked really good. Um, my friend Amanda Hawkins was in touch and she mentioned she was cooking chicken in a bag. Not bag inside a chicken, chicken in a bag. Um, and I've never tried one of these, but she seems pretty sold on it to keep the, the meat succulent. Um, yeah, so good work. Then. And also, um, Louis has been in touch that his daughter's been doing some baking this week and she made a homemade Jaffa cakes and they looked incredible. Uh, Jaffa cakes, is it a cake? Is it a biscuit? You know, speak to the vat man. I'm sure he'll tell you which one he thinks it is. But it's one of my favourite sort of biscuit tin treats, a Jaffa cake. Good energy release as well if you're doing exercise, having a Jaffa cake. Um, so well done to those people. And also, um, and I'm sure you're going to cover all our listeners who cook to this week's dish. Yeah, so well, first I want to say congratulations to Dan on his first roast because I know how hard that is. Actually, I find it one of the most stressful cooking experiences for me personally really I don't know if it's yeah i don't know if it's because of all the timings that you have to kind of bring together with the uh, different elements that are going on uh, i don't particularly enjoy cooking a roast to be honest um so i do leave that one to to amy um i i have been given a task of doing it before and there's quite a lot of swearing that comes from <laughs> on that occasion. i i love um, cooking a roast cooking a roast is one of the best things i think again like i said if you if you know your timings and you plan it out beforehand you know where you're going. Obviously, I'm quite lucky in the the cooker that I've got. So I've got enough oven space to be able to jiggle things around if I need to, to make sure I can match my timings. But I always find, especially Christmas lunch, that's one of my favorite things. That's all I really want to do at Christmas. I don't really care about presents. It's I get to cook Christmas lunch and that's the gift. I don't know if that's because it means I get to sit in the kitchen by myself for three hours drinking Pepsi, (laughs) having a lovely time. That does sound nice. I think, yeah, also it might be the uh, space we have in our kitchen. When you live in quite a small cottage, the uh, the kitchen isn't massive, so um, it does make it a bit of a nightmare to kind of negotiate yourself around the space that you have. Um, but again, I do leave that one to Amy generally. Um, also, Jaffa Cakes, fantastic. Yeah, cake, biscuit, debate, that's going to be going on for a lifetime. Um, Not in the eyes but... of the Batman, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, Jaffa Cakes, I do love one of my favourite biscuits or cakes. Um, also just a quick shout out to uh, Simon or The Saint on Twitter, um, our uh, friend and wrestling colleague. Uh, he had a go at making the recipe that we suggested this week, the classic shepherd, shepherd's pie from the Bosch Boys. And he said it went down very well with the family. They all asked for seconds as well, so that's absolutely fantastic to hear. Um, also uh, my friend Helen, she had a crack at making the recipe too. Uh, she really enjoyed the this experience of making it, but also the, the uh, interactivity with the the uh, show. 
Uh, so that's really good to hear. And she actually had hers with uh, cheesy cauliflower balls, which uh, sounds oh, like nice. a condition, but actually looks very tasty. <laughs> um, so I think I'll be trying them myself at some point. But well done, guys, for giving it a go. And thank you very much for your interactions. Um, if you are going to be cooking any of our recipes at all, uh, remember to get in touch with us uh, on Twitter, which is at that food podcast. So give us a shout on there. Yeah, we'll be posting out um, our listeners' efforts and also our own efforts at the dish, um, which, as Matt mentioned, was the uh, the Bosch classic shepherd's pie. Um, so, as we mentioned and we touched on last week, um, the Bosch boys have many cookbooks. Uh, you've been essentially using as your food bible since you received it um, at Christmas. Um, yep. I'd never even considered making a vegan shepherd's pie before um, you mentioned this recipe. And if I'm completely honest, I'd not heard of these guys before. But looking through some of their stuff, they're certainly you know, recipes I'm definitely going to visit from there. But let's focus on what we cooked this week. So the classic shepherd's pie. Um, again, we've posted links up on our, um, on our Twitter at That Food Podcast. And obviously, you can go and check out the Bosch boys as well. Um, so... My experience of cooking this, I, I always want to try and cook with my daughter. Um, she's three years old, but I want to try and get her into the kitchen trying new things. And I thought I'd be off to a struggle to start with because she's not normally a fan of normal shepherd's pie. She's at a phase where she will eat mince, she will eat potato, she will eat vegetables, but not if they're mixed together. She will eat them if they're all separately on the plate. So if it's a deconstructed shepherd's pie, she will munch it down and be over the moon as long as you don't put onion in it. And then when we looked down the ingredients list, the first thing I saw was red onion. And I thought, ah, rubbish. Quite so, a lot of onion as well, isn't it? Yeah. So throughout the day, I kept on referring to it just as, oh, we're going to cook Bosch tonight, rather than classic shepherd's pie. So she was into the idea of Bosch, shouting to my wife. She was going, we're having Bosch for tea. We're having Bosch for tea. And in fairness to her, we cut the red onion. Absolutely no problem. No yuck, no nothing. Um... She munched on half of the celery stick, so I was like, right, well, like, good thing I've got extra. Um, and and cooked, it, cooked it through. I think from my standpoint, creating mince out of mushrooms in a food presser was a stroke of genius. I'd never thought of it. I poured my mushrooms into the food presser, blitzed them, and genuinely I thought, this is already a better consistency than corn mince, which I find to be a bit claggy, whereas the mushroom mince was was exceptional and again if you're looking to do like meat replacements i can imagine bringing that into a bolognese and it would still be really tasty yeah and from my point of view as well um it's quite unusual i chose this dish specifically actually because i'm not uh I mentioned last week i'm not a fussy eater particularly but mushrooms is one of those things that can turn me on or off to a, a dish um i don't hate mushrooms but sometimes it's too obvious and there's a whole mushroom i find them a little bit slimy actually um but the great thing about uh this dish is that the mushroom again is a great uh meat replacement uh, or even uh like a, a meat substitute replacement as well like soy um etc but the way that it goes into the dish and it mingles with the other flavors uh, you don't really know that it's mushroom at all in fact it's a great substitute for anything else that you might be using so lamb for example in a traditional shepherd's pie um so yeah it worked for me and as a uh, not a massive fan of mushrooms i thought it was fantastic i thought it was a stroke of genius to include them because obviously when you blitz them down like that 
they can absorb so much flavor and that's the thing is you know through mainly sort of meat eaters i don't stick specifically to a, a vegan or vegetarian diet obviously i try and go meat free a couple of times a week just one for the environment and two for my own for own health benefits as well but having the the level of flavor in here and obviously when looking down the list of ingredients when i thought i'm adding marmite i'm adding marmite to a shepherd's pie mix and again that was a lure for harriet but my daughter because she was like marmite in a dinner brilliant spoon it get the tablespoon of it in um obviously measuring up the balsamic measuring up the wine measuring up the stock um I did notice some questions that we had on social media, though, because we've also got to include um, pre-cooked lentils in there. And I bought yes. a pack of pre-cooked lentils. And I should also say that this met this the whole recipe is supposed to serve four to six people. I did half portion. I did half size of this, so I did half portions because there are only three, well, technically two and a half in the household. And thought my daughter probably won't try and eat this. Um, so I did half portions for this. So I found a bag of sort of 200, 250 grams of pre-cooked lentils. How did you go about it? Because obviously, as I said, on, on, on our interactions online, quite a few people ask questions about what lentils are you using? Are you using lentils for a tin? Where do you find these cooked lentils? Uh, did you use pre-cooked lentils or did you cook your, did you go straight from the tin? So, yes. Yeah, so this is actually my my first um, big fail actually in terms of cooking this dish. Uh, so I, um, I actually use green lentils. Uh, it says poi lentils, I think it is yeah. on the uh, recipe, uh, which I did look for um, online because I actually ordered my shopping this week be delivered. And I couldn't find poi lentils as such, but we did have green lentils in the, in the cupboard, uh, which to be quite honest, have been sat there for many, many months um, <laughs> unused. Uh, so it's perfect opportunity to use them. And so I, I got the, the pack of lentils out, read the instructions. And actually, this, again, my, my first big fail on this one was that you needed to soak them for 12 hours prior to cooking, although at least that's the suggested time anyway. Um, I didn't have 12 hours. So I stuck, <laughs> <them in a bowl. laughs> I stuck them in a bowl of water for 30 minutes, roughly. Um, I cooked them. Uh, in a pan by themselves for I think it's about 30 minutes as well uh, so you're already sort of an hour in um, and in between that time I was obviously preparing the other bits and bobs um, so I I did cook them myself I didn't buy pre-cooked um, until you just said then to be honest I didn't know pre-cooked was a thing really uh, so it's something I'll look for in the future yeah and I think that's the thing so I'll I'll go down the ingredients so if, again you can find the full recipe on um, that food podcast and also on Bosch's website as well. So if you're making the full quantity, which uh, serves six people, you're looking at two medium onions, one celery stick, three cloves of garlic, three uh, sorry, four sun-dried tomatoes plus two tablespoons of the oil from the jar, one sprig of fresh rosemary, three sprigs of fresh thyme, one large carrot, 500 grams of mushroom, two tablespoons of tomato puree, one tablespoon of yeast extract like Marmite, one tablespoon of balsamic vinegar, 250 ml of red wine, 100 ml of vegetable stock, 400 grams of pre-cooked pre-lentils, salt and pepper for taste. And then for the topping, you're using 1.2 kilograms of Maris Piper or another floury potato, 40 grams of dairy-free butter, 150 ml of unsweetened plant-based milk, and one tablespoon of Dijon mustard. Now, 
the topping is where I realised my daughter was unlikely to eat this because when we were finishing the mash preparation, putting in the mustard, she tasted the mashed potato and straight away said, "Uh, I don't like that." Whereas oh, no. I thought it was, I thought it was quite a subtle add to the to the potato. We're adding the Dijon mustard. Um, I used um, an unsweetened soy milk uh, for mine, and. I found stalk seemed to be dairy-free, suitable for vegans and vegetarians. So that's what I used for my um, for my topping. Did you have any? What what sort of uh, dairy-free products did you use for your your topping of this? So I used um, a. I think it might have been stalk as well. Um, I can't I can't remember the brand now, but yes, a uh, vegetable-based spread effectively for the um, the butter, um, and I used. Um, almond milk for the the milk, which I've since found out um, that actually almond milk is quite bad for the environment in terms of uh, the amount of water and um, space required to grow almonds. Um, oh, wow. It, it can also lead to quite a lot of soil uh, degradation um, due to the way that's grown and uh, the soil is over overworked and things like that. So actually almond milk, not a great alternative. Um, but apparently oat milk is a better alternative. So uh, through doing this recipe, I, I've actually learned that. Um, so it's quite quite well, interesting so to be learning learning on the job as well. So, so as you mentioned, time-wise for cooking this recipe. So when we normally when uh, you go through some of the the websites, um, it says the le- the skill level that you need to make this dish plus the amount of time that you will need to essentially put aside for preparation and cooking. I found this to be quite a long dish to prepare. I found that I was in the kitchen from start to finish. So I started cooking this about half past three. And yes, I'm somewhat, um, not hindered, uh, slowed down by my assistant, my sous chef, Harriet. (laughs) Um, But it's very much a dinner that you've got to be on it all the time until it's in the oven you're doing lots of things. It's not stuff you can just leave and come back to. I found that for that whole, from half past three till plating up about quarter past five, half past five, that it was quite a long slog for for a shepherd's pie. And it's the sort of thing that, again, I, I started thinking, well, if I'm making a classic shepherd's pie, a normal meat version, obviously I'm going to fry off the mince, I'm going to add in my onions, whatever other vegetables I'm going to put into it, make the gravy to go in mashed potatoes pop it on top bang it in the oven so obviously it's still you're still relatively you know it's still quite a lot long process but there's less steps whereas with this i i found that it's not the sort of thing you can knock up quite quickly it's not the sort of thing you can come home from work and go i fancy this for dinner go through the stages and then and then it's there i think if, if you want to cook this i think it's a case of right this is my plan for dinner or lunch yeah, so it took me uh, best part of three hours to make, um, into, including the preparation time of about an hour. Uh, so I started at 4pm and I finished at 10 to 7. So yeah, about two hours and 50 minutes all in all from start time until uh, it came out of the oven ready to serve. So it's a long, long um, process to actually get to the point of where you can eat. Uh, fortunately, you know, I've got quite a bit of spare time at the moment being furloughed. However, you know, the other way I looked at it was that it takes a long time, but if you do do the dish as per suggested, 
uh, it can serve up to six people in theory, whereas just two of us, um, we actually did have it for lunch yesterday as well. So it covered that as well. So we were able to have dinner one evening, lunch the following day, um, and we actually still have a bit left over, so we might have that for lunch again today. So uh, in terms of the effort put in, um, you do get a few meals out of it afterwards as well, or at least in our household anyway. So Yeah, and I think that's the thing that's been said, obviously, it is worth bulk bulk cooking this if you are going to try it because it does freeze you can keep it in the fridge for a couple of days afterwards as well it's because obviously there's nothing overly perishable in it and that's one of the good things um about this dish um so the serving suggestion for this after the many hours of cooking oh actually no before we go to that did you find any parts complicated because obviously we've said it's quite a long-winded um long-winded cook this one do you believe that anyone would be able to cook this? Do you think you need any expertise to be able to knock this dinner together? I think cooking improves with confidence. So I've been cooking dishes from scratch for quite a while now, so I do feel quite confident in giving uh, any dish a go. Um, however, possibly... If you're new to cooking and if you're new to the idea of um, maybe not eating as much meat, um, things like that, it might possibly be a bit intimidating. Um, it's, I think the thing as well is the um, the tools that you need. So uh, if you don't have a food presser, uh, processor, sorry, um, it will be harder to be able to mince the mushrooms by hand with a knife. Um, we actually don't have a food presser. We have a, a mini chopper. Um, which I had to do in batches to chop the mushroom, uh, mushrooms up, uh, which was fine. But again, that sort of added a bit longer to the process. So I think it could be a little bit intimidating for uh, new starters. Um, the, the thing that I, I didn't find complicated as such, but I didn't have the tool for, um, was the suggestion that you could use a piping bag to pipe the potatoes on top. Um, I pretty much guarantee that anyone who tried this recipe this week probably didn't do that um, i'm assuming you didn't either no i think because i like the idea of a piping bag to for the presentation factor of it but also i thought but by the time i'm already like an hour into the preparation of this by the time i've set up a piping bag found a suitable sized nozzle to be able to get the potato um in place i felt that i could save time using my fork to get it get some lines in to get some crispness on there um so i also didn't use a piping bag so as you said i think the two areas of complexity of this dish is down to the equipment that you have so again if you are new to cooking from scratch or it's, it's not something you've you know really gone through before i think that if you don't have a food processor the mushrooms would be to create the mushroom mince would be really, really tricky to do it manually. Very, very time-consuming, very, very laborious process. And I still don't think you'd get the level of texture that you'd want because I think even with an, if you're chopping these these guys finely, you're not going to have the moisture content to keep it together as essentially uh, a, a mushroom mince. And then I think the texture would suffer in the dish if you were just to manually chop it so like you said if you've got a like a hand blender or something like that or even um i've seen some people have used the nutribullet or something like that if you're making like shakes um 
pop the mushrooms in there and, and give it give it a blitz of some description from there. And as you said, the piping bag would be purely for to make it aesthetically pleasing. Um, I'm sure you'd get a much more even level of crisp on the potato once you've baked it in the oven. But for me, it was a case of I'll spoon over the mash. I will put my fork in to get my ridges to get some crispness on it and, and pop it in the oven. As you said, I think if you are used to c- cooking from scratch and you have all the equipment, it's just more of a time-consuming rather than a complex recipe to follow because the way they've laid out the recipe is really, you know, it's very easy to follow. I didn't think, oh, I've missed any steps. Although there's one thing I did notice on the recipe, um, and I don't know if it's just uh, me. Obviously, on the recipe list we went through, it said there's three cloves of garlic. I don't recall seeing anything in the recipe that said where to add the garlic in. I I had the same experience, but the reverse so on the list it doesn't mention garlic but then in the method it mentions to put in the garlic if that makes sense oh so okay so th- i don't know uh yeah so maybe i just haven't read things few- properly <laughs> <laughs> no but you're right I, I made a note on this as well actually because there was no mention of garlic in the recipe listing uh in the ingredients sorry um but there was mention of it in the method um which wasn't a problem because I had some in the cupboard anyway. Um, yeah. But I guess if you're going out to buy um, ingredients specifically and, and you realise that you forgot something, that would be a bit of a pain. Um, but however, I mean, the thing with these dishes, there's so many different flavours in it. If you missed uh, a few cloves of garlic, it probably won't it won't ruin the dish, you know. And that's the beauty of cooking as well, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you do have, uh, much like my wife, uh, Amy, she, she will follow a recipe, but if... We haven't got something we may not include it um and it generally doesn't you know affect the dish too badly unless it's a major component of what you're doing but things like uh aromatics like garlic and things uh thyme what have you if you haven't got it then it's not the end of the world and i think that's something that um can really help people's confidence in the kitchen as well just realize that realize that you can only really do you know what you can with what you've got as well so if you are missing something um as long as it's not too major part of the, of the, the dish then um you know don't be afraid to give it a go anyway it will turn out all right yeah and i think that's the thing and when you mention things like the fresh herbs so obviously we had to use fresh rosemary and fresh thyme in this dish but if you've got dried absolutely fine to to chuck it in it will still give you the same the same flavor um obviously with the rosemary and thyme in this one obviously you had to take them off the off the stalks and then you still had to finally dice them and chop them down anyway so other than having them dried rather than fresh the the smell and the flavor of dried and and fresh is the same and i'm sure for the purpose of this dish it would do exactly what you need it to do um to add that flavor so i was about an hour and a half you were three hours because you had to manually blitz batch blitz 500 grams of mushrooms um <laughs> let's go on to so did you serve yours with just green veg what did you serve yours with uh we actually had it just as it was um we um i we well i finished cooking about seven um and we decided just to have it as it was it's very uh filling and 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 uh hearty so uh, it's a, a weekday evening as well so we didn't have a massive appetite if we had it on a sunday we may have done more with it like vegetables and things like that but we just had it solo and it's yeah, fantastic just enough for us that evening how about you yeah we just served ours with some peas and some broccoli just to again just give harriet some extra vegetables on it um and again it, it complemented it well i think for the main dish itself which we'll, we'll go into in a second is you know 
it's got so much flavor to it. You don't really need anything to complement it. You've got everything in that dish that you need. So type relatively, you know, I'd say medium complexity to construct, to actually prepare the meal, quite long-winded to prepare the meal, but was it worth the effort? What do you think? I think it was. So I always judge this by, will it work into my regular rotation? Uh, into So when I cook a new meal, Amy and I will discuss, will we work this into our regular rotation? And um, we would. So it whilst it does take a long time, you do get um, servings to have to freeze or to have the next day. Um, so whilst it does take a long time, as long as you've got the uh, time and equipment to do it, um, I'd say that it was totally worth it. Really enjoyed it. And also I loved the experience of being able to try something um, that we all know and love as a dish, but without the, the meat involved and just looking at a slightly different angle. So from my point of view, yes, absolutely worth the effort. And I loved it. How about you? I thought from a flavor standpoint, it, it was packed with flavor. I think the the herbs, the herb combination, adding the balsamic and the marmite really came through to complement and obviously offset the red wine as well. I found that my daughter didn't touch it. She tried a mouthful of lentils and just went, uh, and then refused to eat it, which was fine because I had a backup fish cake in the oven to have with some, again, additional vegetables. So it was, she wasn't aware of it, but it's not worth the argument. She tried it. She did a, you know, she had a couple of mouthfuls of it. So she didn't just look at it and go, uh, but, um, yeah, I think for, from my standpoint, I would, I would cook it again, purely as you said, because it means you've got two or three additional portions available so if you're working late, you come home, ding it in the microwave, and, and you're good to go. Um, I don't I don't know whether or not I'd choose this over a regular shepherd's pie. But what I did find interesting, I think that if you serve this up to someone and they weren't aware you were cooking it as a as a vegan dish, I don't think they'd notice too much. I don't think they'd sit there and go, there's no meat in this. I think they'd just go, you've used different flavors in your meats. I think it, if you were doing sort of blind testing, taste testing, I think people would struggle to identify that this is a non-meat dish because of how flavorful it is. Yeah, I think so. I agree. And as a, uh, someone who used to be very much uh, pro-meat dishes, um, I'd very rarely have a, a meal without um, meat with it. Um, I thought it was an absolutely fantastic alternative and I will be cooking recipes um, if not this one, very similar to this in the future. Yeah, as you said, it's it's a good experience. It took me out of my normal eating comfort zone to create especially a purely vegan dish because even with the potato, even if I was going to cook a vegetarian dish, I'd still put things like butter or a bit of milk in the potato before when mashing it together to create the topping. So it was, it was nice. Um, again, it was a nice change to do it. And as I said earlier in the pod, the minced mushrooms was a revelation for me and if i'm going to be doing anything cooking based and i want to do a meat replacement so another form of bolognese i'd happily replace meat with the mushrooms for calorific value to get extra veg in to reduce sort of red meat consumption for a bolognese be interesting to see how it how it got on um my wife was a fan of it she liked it but i think her viewpoint was that she would prefer a classic shepherd's pie over this i'm 
I said, I, I think I'd still lean towards a classic meat-based shepherd's pie, but I, I think that's possibly down to the timings of this. I think it was delicious for what we cooked. I, th- I was very happy with how it came out. And for a f- if it was a family dinner that everyone in my household ate, it would be worth doing it. But if I'm going to have to cook this plus one other meal, if my daughter isn't into it too much, then I'd probably stick towards doing a, a, a meat-based shepherd's pie because at least I know I could deconstruct it for her so we could all eat the same thing together. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, I was thinking, I was going to ask you... Um... Uh, with regards to your daughter, did you use uh, red wine? Because I know alcohol does burn off, doesn't it, when you're cooking it? Um, so it's not a problem if you put it into dishes um, that are going to be eaten by uh, our younger members of the family. But um, just as a preference, as a parent, did you include the red wine into the dish? I did, yeah. I mean, I don't drink alcohol, but I will cook with wine if it's if it's part of the recipe. It's not a sort of thing that I go, oh, alcohol, it's terrible, it's bad. It's just... I don't like the taste of it. But when you're cooking things like stews, when you're cooking things like like this um, this dish here, if it's a key component, especially when you need to pack things with flavour, this really did complement the the marmite and, and, and the herbs which went into it. So again, good, good to have it in. And again, I think getting kids used to these flavours when they're young, obviously it's good that she tries things. She's got a three-year-old palate. She likes chicken nuggets and chips. <laughs> <laughs> so, but at least you tried and I think that's the thing is as long as people give it a go it doesn't I don't mind as long as it's not one of those things that people look at and go oh I don't want to try that as long as they give it a go if they don't like it they've tried it and I said she tried two or three spoonfuls because of the promise of ice cream for pudding that's <laughs> through pure bribery but uh, so yeah so for adults I'd cook it if I was hosting people post pandemic and they wanted to come over for food I'd do this because again if you've got a kitchen that you can socialize in and chat to people, you can do you can do the preparation while you're while you're chatting, while you're hosting. And it's you know, it's quick to eat, you can all serve it together, it's got components that, you know, people are liking it. You look down that list of ingredients, I know there are like you said, people may not like onions. Leave the onions out, maybe replace it with leeks if that's your that's your preference. Um if you don't like mushrooms, this may not be the dish for you. <laughs> because it is quite a key component to have that in as the filling. I know you could probably do it with just the lentils. Um, but as I said, if it's something that you want to sit down with, have a bit of time to yourself, to just do something interesting, something different for cooking, I'd recommend it. Do you want to do a form of rating for menus that we do over time? You know, do, you, do you want to give this, how many whisks would you give this? How many whisks out of five <laughs> would you give this? Um, I was thinking about this. I don't think we should include rating. I think we should just discuss the dish um, and leave it at that. Uh, in my opinion, what were you thinking on this? I give your opinion five whisks. <laughs> 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 I, th- I think so, because I think with food, it's such, um, you know, it's such an open book. People will like things, people will hate things. I think if we gave things a rating as such and people then started to listen to what you have to say if we gave something a terrible rating oh it's one whisk oh i'm not going to bother eating that then if it's one whisk but that means they're going to miss out potentially on something that is really good for them really good for their family something they enjoy cooking so i agree i think from my standpoint this is a very very tasty dish quite long-winded i'd say moderate level of effort cooking experience needed for it and the paramount elements of this recipe would be 
making sure you've got the equipment and also preparation. And I think that's the same thing that we've both spoken about before. If you're going to go and undertake a recipe that you've never cooked before, get everything cut up first, get all of your tins, get everything, all your ingredients on the side if you can, if you've got space to do so, because then it makes life so much easier and then you're less likely to forget things. The number of times I've left garlic in a cupboard before cut, doing things, get halfway through cooking and go, ah, rats, I forgot, I forgot the garlic. Or, or things like that. If you've got everything uh, prepared, and it's the same thing for roasts we mentioned earlier, if you're prepared, you've got everything set out, I'm not suggesting people write things down and, and go across the board with it, but be organised and it makes life a bit easier, but I'd say moderate effort for this this outlay. Yeah, and uh, just to just to echo your sentiments there, I think you know cooking is so subjective, uh, palates are so subjective as well, that uh, it's not really worth putting a rating on, but we could just talk about it just as based on our experience. Um, my final notes on it really, um, I, I did enjoy it as a pers- person who isn't a massive mushroom fan. It was fantastic to see how the flavors from the Marmite, the wine, the stock really started to soak in. And that's when for me, the meal started to look visually and uh, from a smell point of view, um, really tasty and I was starting to look forward to eating at that, uh, at that point. Um, I also liked little touches which I never really thought about before, uh, using the sun-dried uh, tomato oil from there to cook with as well. Um, I thought it was a really interesting touch. Um, and it's actually, and this is something that really struck me with my first bite, was how um, how nice the mash was. It's one of the best uh, potato mashes I've, I've had in a long time. Um, I don't know if that's because I followed a specific amount of milk and butter to go into it. Um, as you said, I will often add butter and milk, but it's just kind of like slapdash of how much I put in. Um, but I used the uh, suggested amounts. Um, and also a small confession, I um, with these recipes that I've used from the Bosch boys before, um, because I'm not strictly vegan, I will use um, dairy milk if it's in the fridge or uh, dairy-based butters as well to cook with. Um, on this occasion, I actually did go uh, and use the recipe as suggested. Uh, so I did use the plant-based products. And I don't know if it was because of that or again, because I followed a strict recipe on um, how to make it, where I'm just kind of, again, just slapping load of stuff in there as a fancy. Um, but it tasted amazing, it tasted really, really nice. Um, came out really light and fl- fluffy. Um, and it was just for me, it was a very, um, it's a proper winter warmer, um, a really comforting bowl of tasty goodness. So I uh, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the experience of cooking it as long as you've got enough time. And I uh, thoroughly enjoyed eating it as well. And I'm looking forward to eating my third portion later today <laughs> excellent i said yeah i think give it a go everyone if you, if you want to try something new uh broaden sort of expand your your cooking knowledge cooking experiences it's definitely a recipe to, to to give it a go with so i think that was a great choice for our first recipe um you can again look online uh get the bosch cookbooks um if you like what you've cooked uh this week make sure you know Give them a follow on their social media platforms. It's um, at Bosch TV, I think, on Twitter. And also, I said, their cookbooks, which you've been using, as we said earlier. Um, several, several tasty recipes in there. And, you know, broadens what you cook and what you eat. Absolutely. So, yeah, big big shout out to the Bosch boys. I've used many of their recipes over the past few weeks and uh, 
absolutely always always uh always a delight so following on from our engagement with our listeners uh, from last week's episode we thought it'd be uh interesting to introduce another little uh segment so to speak into our our podcast which is essentially a heaven and hell-esque element uh saturday kitchen you don't need to sue us we haven't called it what you've uh we're not doing it food-based don't worry we're not stealing your ideas but it's what's gone well in the kitchen and what's gone badly in the kitchen for you this week if anything so if you've had a cooking success if you've had a cooking disaster let us know on twitter at that food podcast um and share your kitchen heaven or kitchen hell with us uh, matt have you had any good kitchen hell or kitchen heaven experiences this week i have um just as a side note here i did have an alternative uh idea for the theme uh, which was Kitchen Nightmare, which I think is actually a Gordon Ramsay thing, isn't it? And yeah. uh, Angel Delight, or Angel oh, Delight yes. would be, uh, um, as a big fan of Butterscotch Angel Delight, big shout out to that. I was about um, to ask, what's your favourite flavour? And that is the correct answer. Butterscotch Angel Delight is the best, <laughs> but doesn't, because it sets better than the Chocolate Angel Delight, I find. I wouldn't know, I've never touched chocolate. I'm very much a butterscotch boy when it comes to Angel Delight, so I'll have to take word on that one. Um, Is I that think merch? I've into stro- butterscotch boy? <laughs> <laughs> Just call me butterscotch boy. Um, I've ventured as far as strawberry, um, but again, it's, it pales in comparison to uh, butterscotch. Um, so yes, uh, kitchen hell, if you like, uh, on this occasion. Um, I, uh, I had a bit of an unfortunate accident in the kitchen that resulted in me... Um, breaking my mini chopper stew oh no um, which yes i was quite upset about so i bought a mini chopper just before christmas um actually uh what was it just after i suppose it doesn't really matter but i bought a mini chopper around about christmas time and uh it was to use with my uh bosch cookbook that i got for christmas that allowed me to make some more of the adventurous recipes where you are making your own um sauces and uh, dips and things like that which I've really enjoyed the process of so I've been quite attached to my mini chopper and uh, I was pulling things out of the cupboard the other day and it unfortunately um, got stuck as I was pulling out a cup um, and it is uh, toppled out of the out of the cupboard and unfortunately the catch on top of the lid which um, allows it to operate as it sort of slipped into a into a um, uh, mechanism which allows you to press a button for it to work actually broke off so it uh, deemed it unusable which is unfortunate um, however thanks to the miracle of Amazon uh, Amazon Prime I was able to order a new one uh, the for arrival of the following day um, slightly different model actually with a glass base rather than a plastic uh, base this time so hopefully it won't be as easy to break my uh, Kitchen Heaven or my Angel Delight this week uh, is a brand new kitchen gadget which I got for my birthday, uh, a milk frother. So I've recently got Ooh. into um, um, filtered coffees. I have a filtered coffee machine um, and grinding beans and making my own coffee that way. And I've been banging on about uh, wanting to froth my own milk as well so I can have a nice creamy latte or cappuccino. And... Um, my wife Amy very kindly bought me a milk frother, which I've enjoyed uh, using, and I feel like I've got my own sort of uh, barista set up now in the kitchen, so I'm loving that. And how about you, Stu? What's uh, your kitchen heaven and hell this week? 
Well, my hell is a bit backdated because I'm still bitter and angry about it. Uh, so my kitchen nightmare occurred, granted, a few weeks ago. I was sat in the front room and I heard some banging in the kitchen. The sound of a drawer that wouldn't open. Now, sometimes, as we know, if you pile the drawers too high with cutlery or put the wooden spoons in too much, that drawer gets jammed. So you've then got to try and muscle your way in to push down whatever's there and and put it out. Well, what had happened is my wife had become frustrated by said drawer being closed. And instead of doing what people do if they're awake, haven't been up all night parenting or at work all day and taking a breath and putting things done, she decided to use her brute strength to try and pull the drawer open. In turn, it meant that the scissors that had been stuck in the said drawer had then become jammed and cut through the little cutlery divider in the drawer. So being the nice, helpful person, I said, don't worry, I'll fix it. So I put my left hand under the drawer to try and move things around, trying to jolt things out, and then I heard a crack. And I looked down at the crack, and it's the Apple Watch on my wrist, and the whole screen in the bottom left-hand corner had shattered. Oh, Luckily, no. I was in it. And, and to be fair, this is my second Apple Watch. Uh, the first Apple Watch were, I had I came to an, again, an unfortunate kitchen end um, years and years and years ago where my daughter had just been born. I was trying to look after her, cook dinner for my wife. And I turned around and for some reason I hadn't put my watch back on. So I picked up the tray steak dinner out. And my watch fell face first onto the, the tiled kitchen floor and shattered again. So now this is my second Apple Watch that I've destroyed within the kitchen. Um, furious, but you know I might treat myself to a new one when I start my new job next month as a, as a treat. Um, but food, my angel delight, has been in relation to my kitchen garden. So I've constructed three raised beds ready for my vegetable planters. Obviously, it has snowed this week, so I haven't been able to clear the area where I'm going to be installing these, but they're ready. Um, I'm hoping to have time maybe tomorrow if it doesn't snow or dries out to treat them with linseed oil, because obviously if I'm putting vegetable in them, I want to preserve the wood, but I also want to make sure that it doesn't have any impact on my crop that I'm growing. So I'm very happy with the three that I've got. My greenhouse is cleared, as we mentioned in last week's podcast, so I'm ready to basically start having a self-sufficient veg veg element to what we're going to be cooking in our recipes in the weeks and months to come. Very cool. Um, I was absolutely devastated to hear about your watch. I know um, <laughs> how, how attached we've become to our Apple Watches, being the uh, you know the, the gadget nerds that we are. Um, I was... We do regularly use them to monitor our workouts and things, so... I, I did feel for you on that one. <laughs> I am surprised how both times it's gone that my reaction has been, oh, rats, and I haven't lost my mind. I think as time goes on, I'm getting angrier and angrier about it. But at the time, I was thinking, right, I need to get this drawer open, which involved, at the last minute, getting a tiny little saw with my left hand into the drawer and cutting through the rest of the cutlery drawer so I could then shut the scissors, push them down and open the cutlery drawer. Uh, my wife has said, Super. I'll replace the, the insert at some point. It still hasn't been replaced. It has still got a <laughs> hole in it, as does my Apple Watch. <laughs> Superb. Very excited to hear about your uh, vegetable patch, though, your raised vegetable patches that you're making. That's uh, quite intrigued to hear more about that as you progress. So. Yep, two are for vegetables and one's to bury my wife under if I break my third Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, uh, but so hey, again, Stu. Yeah. Fancy playing a game? I love a game. The game was very popular last week. So, what is the okay. game we are playing this week? Well, so we are going to look at. We looked at calories last week. This week, we're going to look at carbon footprint. Okay. Now, I can't so track gonna... carbon footprint on my Apple Watch, so I don't think I'm going to be as successful as I was last week with the calorie game. <laughs> well, you never know. So, we are going to play Sustainable Stars and Carbon Catastrophes. So, <laughs> Stu, Excellent. are you ready to come on down? I will come on down and at one point, as we said, invest in some music for a jingle. I am ready to play. <laughs> Okay, so this is going to be a uh, true or false game, essentially. But as per last week, I'm just going to give you a little bit of feed. Uh, sorry, a little bit of a background on what we're actually talking about. So people who maybe haven't heard of carbon footprint, we're just going to sort of draw back a little bit and uh, explore into that area uh, slightly. So we're all on the same page. Okay, so first off, we just need to understand what carbon dioxide is. So it's a chemical compound, often referred to as CO2. Um, in the context of what we're looking at it today, it is present in the Earth's atmosphere and acts as a greenhouse gas. Uh, so greenhouse gases include uh, CO2, water vapor, methane, and nitrous oxide. Um, and greenhouse gases are actually good for us in the right conditions. They help to uh, heat the Earth's atmosphere. They trap heat. Um, so they let sunlight pass through the atmosphere, but they prevent the heat from coming back out of the atmosphere as quickly. So it actually allows um, the greenhouse effect, maintains the Earth temperature, and makes it possible for humans and other life forms to exist. However, and this is what we're going to be looking at a little bit today, is due to human influence um, uh, on carbon and other greenhouse gases um, in the atmosphere, uh, it's actually on the increase. And because of this, the temperature of the Earth is rising faster than ever before. And this is causing something that I'm sure many of you have heard of is climate change. Now, the impacts of climate change, the precise impact of uh, greenhouse gases and climate change um, in the future are unknown, uh, precisely what they're going to result as, but scientists have already documented the following. So I'm just going to read out a list of um, things that scientists have already documented as a result of greenhouse gases and climate change. So for example, um, ice is melting worldwide, uh, especially at the Earth's poles, which is contributing towards uh, rising sea levels. Um, Rising temperatures are negatively affecting wildlife and their habitats. Um, and there's also more rain and snowfall, um, generally across the globe. However, on the other side of that, on the other extreme, um, there are regions that are experiencing more severe drought. So increase of uh, risk of wildfire. Um, this is increasing the risk of losing crops, uh, especially now where we are uh, increasing in population throughout the globe, the amount of crops required are only going to go up. So if we're actually going to result in losing more, that could really be a disaster for the human population. And it's also resulting in drink, uh, drinking water shortages. Um, it's also encouraging the, uh, the boom in less desirable species as well. So things such as um, mosquitoes and ticks, which bring disease to humans, and crop pests, which uh, again bring disease and um, degradation to uh, food crops. Um, 
and because of the increase in temperature they're actually thriving doing very well which is great for them but not necessarily so good for us as a human population um so with that in mind uh the we're going to look at the carbon footprint which is the amount of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere as a result of activities um, from a particular individual, say you and I, uh, or an organization or a community as a whole. Um, this is calculated as CO2e, which is carbon dioxide equivalent or emissions, uh, depending on which website you're looking at. Um, and these look at uh, components such as supplements used in producing food, such as fertilizer, methane produced by animals, um, for example, cows burping um, because of the type of digestive system that they have releases a lot of methane to the atmosphere. Um, agricultural machinery and transport, so the fuel used, um, often we use fossil fuels to transport our machinery um, and our products, um, and obviously that leads to uh, expenditure of carbon. And also packaging as well, so looking at the, the impact of uh, your carbon footprint through packaging etc. Um, I've used a, and if you guys want to use this as well, um, and you linked me uh, this website Stu, so thank you for that. Um, the source that I've used some of the data has come from the Vegan Society website and they actually have a really cool uh, carbon calculator on there. So you can put the the ingredients of the meal that you've eaten uh, into this calculator and it'll give you a estimate of how much carbon um, that meal would uh, attribute towards going into the atmosphere or i.e. Your, your carbon footprint. So check that out, the Vegan Society website. So now that you're fully informed, are you ready to play? I am ready to play. All right, let's do this. And so question number one, true or false, Stu? Um, this is something that we touched on last week, so I'm confident you'll get this one, but I thought it's quite an interesting fact and just want to expand on it a little further. A six pack of free range eggs locally sourced in the UK has a higher carbon footprint than a bunch of medium sized bananas imported from South America. True or false? That is true. There is more CO2E produced from the locally sourced eggs than there is in the bring over the bananas from South America. That is true. So, yes, well done. Um, this is something we have talked about in the past, so I th um, but I just want to expand on it a little bit more. Um, basically, anything animal-based is going to have a larger carbon footprint. Um, this is due to the space required to farm them, um, as well as the production of the food required to keep them alive. So quite often, um, the food involves a ingredient called soy, which um, we can touch on maybe a bit further in the future, but soy does have generally a large carbon footprint um, just because of the amount produced to feed animals. Um, the facts and figures are slightly different depending on where you look, but between 70 and 90% of all soy produced is actually used to feed animals as opposed to the human population. So um, that's why it attributes so uh, massively towards the carbon footprint that's uh, there. Um, also looking at how the way uh, food is transported as well. So for example, bananas are transported by boat, um, which is a highly efficient way of travel. Um, so it, it, as long as they're arriving by a boat on a cargo ship, um, the carbon footprint is relatively low. Um, but having said that, for example, if they were to arrive by plane, um, 
from South America, it could be a very different matter entirely. Um, to give you some sort of context, and this is important because we're going to talk about this a bit later with our uh, with the meal we had as well. Um, free range eggs, for example, that is 1.73 kilograms of CO2 e released into the atmosphere um, through um, the production of them. So the six pack of eggs. Or well, to put that into some sort of context that we could all understand, that's actually 5.8 miles in an average uh, UK petrol car. So. That's, that's insane. To, yeah, so that's opposed to bananas, which have arrived from South America, or often Colombia. I think Colombia is our uh, largest importer of bananas. Um, that's actually 1.3 kg of CO2e, um, or again, to put it into a uh, more understandable context, that would be the equivalent of 3.79 miles in an average uh, UK petrol car. So it's a couple of miles in between them, um, and it's just uh, fascinating to actually look at you know, it's not just about what you're eating. So you always assume that buying local is uh, good, and it is, and this is uh, we, has very many benefits to buy local. But if you're just concentrating on purely a CO2e, um, if you're looking at that entirely, um, it's actually better off buying bananas than it would be from South America than it would be to buy free-range eggs from up the road. It's uh, outstanding. Time to stop dipping your soldiers into bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, but again, it's uh, in terms of buying local or not buying local, um, it's sometimes not about what you're eating, but where it's coming from. Um, but there are many benefits to buying local as well. So absolutely, this podcast is not saying you should do this, should do that. It's just giving you good information so you can kind of be a bit more informed when you go shopping next, really. Okay, next one, Stu. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, true or false? As a nation, we throw away one third of all the food we buy. I'm going to say false. I think we throw away more, which is bad, but I think it's more than a third, so I'm going to say that is false. Okay, well, it's actually true. So oh. we are thrown away one third or roughly 30% of all food that we buy as a nation. Now, the interesting part of this is 70% 70 of that um, is actually thrown away um, from our households. So it's not just restaurants and supermarkets. It's actually what we're buying, bringing into our house and then disposing of for whatever reason. So all that carbon that's gone into producing that food is completely in vain, unfortunately, if you're throwing it away. Um, plus the additional methane, um, which is then produced from landfill. So if a landfill isn't managed particularly well, um, good ones will trap the methane and hopefully reuse it for other purposes like energy production, etc. But if it's not managed particularly well, um, there is an excess of methane produced and released into the atmosphere. So it's not just what's been uh, used to produce the food, but it's actually what happens after as well, which we need to consider. So maybe just think twice um, before throwing food away or actually buy more than you need. Oh, that's, I mean, even a third is crazy. If you think, if you look in your cupboards and your fridge right now and you say, right, I'm just going to bin a third of that, think of not only the waste on the carbon footprint, but also the waste of money that you're spending. Yeah, I know people buy a lot of fruit and I know people buy a lot of veg and they sit there and go, oh, that's starting to turn a bit now. 
you can do so many things with it. So, for example, if you think your fruit's going, bake with it, blitz it into a smoothie, it will still be absolutely fine. Things like salad and vegetables, again, you can add these into, you, you can just cook these off. Just because they don't look as pretty, you can still get the flavor out of them. More importantly, again, you know, if you if you're you know if you live near animal sanctuaries as well, you can try and walk these around to give them to the animals to say you know here's these for food if you need them to help save that wildlife you know help give them a, a touch of budget. And as you said, it's just a case of you know you know we're not telling you what to do, but if you think that your weekly shop is let's say for a family of four seventy to eighty pounds. And you're going to throw away a third of your money every month. So if we look at that, so let's say it's £80 a week. So you've got £26 of that's going to be thrown away. Over the course of a year, you're throwing away £1,386 into the bin. You're buying, you're basically paying money to throw it away. So yeah, £1,300 quid, potentially. That's insane. Yeah, so if, um, you know carbon footprint doesn't convince you so think about your bank account as well and how much money you'll be saving if you don't overspend on money uh, on food that you don't necessarily need and also think about how we can uh yes like say reuse that food that might be left over for for example the um the beef that we had for my birthday on friday we um again put the leftovers into a pie and we still have the bones left and the fat left which i'm going to turn into a beef stock today oh nice um, so i'm looking forward to that and also i do have some uh lentils left over um, because i made the mistake of cooking uh was it 400 grams of lentils wasn't it um, yeah i cooked that amount and then actually realize I don't need that much because then obviously cooked weight is slightly different to dried weight. Um, so anything left over from that, I'm actually going to turn into a inspired by you, Stu, on your social media, uh, a green lentil curry. So I'm looking forward oh, very to nice. that. Okay, we've got one more. Okay. To finish One off. for one at the moment. Here we go. Can I win? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so this relates to the dish that we cooked this week, the uh, traditional shepherd's pie. So, Stu... A traditional shepherd's pie containing locally sourced lamb mince has a lower carbon footprint than the Bosch vegan classic shepherd's pie. True or false? Hmm. I think the classic meat-based shepherd's pie would have a higher CO2e value because of the meat content in it. But then I look down the list because obviously we've We've got the wine, and obviously that's subjective to where you get that from. But I'm going to stick to um, the 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 classic meat-based shepherd's pie has a higher carbon footprint than the Bosch one. So you're saying false? I am, yes. Okay, uh, correct. So you are two for one. So you have. <laughs> I don't believe how happy I was when I celebrated. <laughs> it's like yes. <laughs> I can see Stu here. Um, unfortunately, you guys can't, but there was a proper like clench of the fist yes moment there, which was fantastic. <laughs> it means so um, much. Okay. It's still too real to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to expand on that a little bit. So um, I actually, um, as part of the process for today's pod, I used the calculator that I spoke about earlier on the vegan website. And I input all the ingredients that we used um, as per the Bosch Classic Shepherd's Pie, um, to see how many 
or what would be the effect of our carbon footprint having made this dish. Now, just a couple of, uh, to be completely transparent, there were a couple of things that I couldn't include just because they weren't listed, which is fair enough. I mean, it must be such a difficult task to be able to, you know, equate all these different ingredients and then put them into a into a uh, calculator. Um, but there was a few things such as uh, sun-dried tomatoes, um, rosemary, thyme, balsamic vinegar, um, which I couldn't include just for the uh, limitations of the calculator. But I did put all the ingredients in and uh, just to give you the heads up on what the dish was as per the Bosch boys recipe. Um, so the total CO2E in that recipe was 4.98 kg um, for the whole dish or one um, sorry 830 grams per serving if you were divided by six as suggested um, again just put that into context so for the whole dish that's 16.71 uh, miles in your average UK petrol car or um, 2.78 miles per serving so you know uh, without context it's kind of difficult to to see where we are with that. So I thought it'd be quite interesting to swap out the 500 grams of mushrooms and replace the, uh, on the calculator, that with 500 grams of minced lamb, which is the traditional uh, ingredient for a shepherd's pie, uh, hence the shepherd's pie uh, lamb. Um, so the results were quite interesting. So I, I put, as I said, I swapped that out and the total CO2e without the mushrooms but with the minced lamb would be 14.98 kg CO2e uh, for the whole dish or 2.49 kg per serving uh, divided by six which again to give you the equivalent of something that's a bit more easy to understand for us all that's 50.25 miles in an average UK petrol car for the entire dish or 8.38 miles per serving which is just over three times more CO2e so you know if you're if it's something that you're interested in if it's something that you want to be able to improve on in terms of how you approach food and the way that it impacts the environment maybe just think about how you can substitute meat at least you know once twice a week um, we're trying to do four times a week non-meat dishes at the moment and again this podcast isn't going to say don't eat meat don't you know mind your calories and all that sort of stuff but again all I'm trying to do on these little segments is just to give you good information so you can go away and make your own decisions I mean the fact that a portion of the Bosch serving is less CO2e than six free-range local eggs is incredible. You get a whole dinner in exchange for six eggs. That's crazy. That's that's insane. I mean, granted, yeah, okay, so I've now got to, instead of driving my car to wherever I go, sort of three-mile round trip, I will now walk it because then I'm offsetting what I'm doing there. But as you said, when you start digging into it, it's it's crazy. And especially when you look at that and then the financial impact, especially of the food wastage. Um, I, it's, I mean, it's really interesting stuff to have. And that's, again, like Matt touched on, it's part of this podcast. That, you know, we want to have fun. We want to cook. But we also want to, you know, look at these things. You know, when, when Matt was going through the facts about climate change, 
it is quite depressing to hear about it. But I think when you start putting into you know in into these terms, so some of the changes that people can make, some of the things that you can do to help not only the environment but also your own health, your own bank balance, it's it's more food for thought than anything. It's it's just information that you know people are aware of it but not in such a a bite-sized compact and sort of relatable manner so i think that's again another thing we're trying to to put over on the podcast but yeah uh, to finish on so go ahead go ahead just to um sort of highlight the things that i just want everyone to go away uh with today based on our little quiz there was um just anything involving animals generally is worse for the environment from a co2 standpoint um just you know looking at the beef uh, sorry, lamb versus mushroom in the shepherd's pie there. Um, vegetables grown locally and in season are generally best. Um, uh, so try to buy local. I'm not saying don't buy local, but dairy products, anything involving animals, generally is going to be worse for the environment than than um, any type of fruit and veg, regardless of where it's from. Um, not always the case. Asparagus is quite often flown in um, from Peru, so... Now it has a massive carbon footprint, so just be careful. And just check labels. Check labels when you're buying. Um, if you can buy local, buy local, especially, again, when it comes to fruit and veg. And um, a big one, which has been something I've not really thought about uh, too much before, um, up until this week, is just try to reduce your food waste as well. Um, so just a few pointers there, guys. I hope that's um, you know helped. Um, and maybe, maybe just think about way that you approach food slightly differently so on that topic that leads us nicely into getting ingredients ready for this week's recipe which is chosen by me this week now after obviously the the quite lengthy cook session we had this week with our bosch classic classic shepherd's pie i wanted to try and focus on something that can be rustled up after work quite low you know low effort that everyone can get involved with but then i started thinking well i quite like a risotto and if you've cooked a risotto from scratch you know it's quite labor intensive you're having to stand over it all the time you're having to pour liquid into it you're having to go again and wait for that liquid to dissolve and get it just right and a lot of the time if you're making risottos at home it fails. Your rice is too hard. You don't have enough softness to it. The texture's not right. So I wanted to find a risotto that didn't involve any of this faff. So I have found a baked risotto recipe through the BBC Good Food website. Um, I like trawling the BBC Good Food website because like we said earlier, if I've got food that's left over that is either about to turn or or has had better days, I go onto the BBC Good Food website, I enter in two or three of those ingredients and it gives me recipe ideas for what I can do with those leftover ingredients. And part of the reason I did the, I picked this recipe is because I had some leeks left over. And I thought, what can I do with these leeks? But I also want to have a risotto. Obviously, I've got risotto rice in the cupboard already. That's not going to go off anytime soon. But I thought, what can I do with these, these two? So I have found a recipe for smoked haddock and leek risotto for this week's recipe we'll post this out on twitter at that food podcast and there is no standing with a ladle pouring a ladle full of liquid onto a risotto you basically you get it all together and you bake it in the oven and it's prep time is supposed to be five minutes cook time 
35 minutes. And on a category of uh, complexity, it's one of their easy recipes. Um, there have been 317 ratings of this recipe on the BBC Good Food website, and it is currently just under five stars. So I have high hopes for this. So it should be quick. It should be flavorful. It's got leeks, which I think is one of my favorite vegetables. Um, obviously, a bit of butter, bit of milk, bit of smoked haddock, which is always tasty to have. Um, Calorific-wise, 444 calories per serving. Um, um, it's quite low in fat, so 10 grams of fat for the serving. So again, that's not too bad for a full-on dinner. Um, so yeah, that's going to be this week's recipe, smoked haddock and leek risotto. Very, very much looking forward to that. I, I don't think I've cooked a risotto before um, in any form, whether it's uh, you know the, the, the difficult version or uh, seemingly this easier version. But I'm very... Uh, very much looking forward to trying that. And the smoked haddock with it as well sounds delicious. So great choice, Stu. I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. So you can find details of that um, on our Twitter feed at That Food Podcast, where we'll also be posting pictures of our listeners who have also made the dish this week, the, uh, the Bosch Classic Shepherd's Pie. Um, again, if you like what we've done here, rate us on your podcast uh, application of choice. Five-star review if you think. If you like what we do, leave a comment. It helps us on the algorithm. It helps people find us um, a bit easier. Um, Matt, is there anything else you're going to be cooking this week of interest? Obviously, you're making your stock later today. Uh, anything else you've got planned other now than now uh, enjoying the plans of cooking a risotto? <laughs> well, all I can think about now is uh, butterscotch angel delight. <laughs> <laughs> butterscotch boy. <laughs> Um, so I might have to venture out, kind of brave the uh, snowy land landscape and uh, go get some of that. <laughs> Did you know you can get it pre-made in pots? Yeah, pre-made ancient diet in pots. I did not know this, but that sounds very uh, plastic-rific. <laughs> Regrettably, it is, but it is recyclable uh, plastic from uh, the ancient okay. delight team. Well, so, again, not ideal, but... If you want a quick, like, 97-calorie hit of a little pot of Angel's Delight, they are available in the small pre-made pots. Well, thank you for the tip-off there. I'll go and uh, check that out. Cool. Um, so, as you said, make sure you follow us on our Twitter, at That Food Podcast, um, and we will be back next week with Smoked Haddock and Leek Risotto. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>